Hello and welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast number 228. My name is Mike Anello, and in today's episode, I'll have an interview with Ofer Shawl. I sat down with Ofer uh, almost two months ago now at Florida Drupal Camp, where we talked about Drupal Rector. In that podcast, there is a mention of Drupal Camp Minneapolis, which unfortunately at this point in time, due to COVID-19, is at very best postponed. Also on the podcast, I have an interview with Amy June Heinlein, friend of the show, Amy June. I talked to her about virtual contribution days and kind of how she has pivoted to help manage contribution days for events all online. And finally, Chris Weber, Cosmic Dreams, is back with another change notice, my favorite news segment. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the show. I hope everybody is staying healthy and washing your hands and taking care of each other. And let's get on with the show. I'm sitting here with Offer Shawl. Offer, nice to uh, see you. We're here at Florida Drupal Camp. Um, and I was going to talk to you for a few minutes about Drupal Rector. Um, so first of all, just for people who aren't familiar with it, what is Drupal Rector? So Drupal Rector is a project that is based on Rector PHP. Rector PHP takes legacy code, fixes it automatically, and make it ready for the next version of whatever PHP project we need it for. Drupal Rector do the same thing for Drupal. It teaches Rector PHP rules that are specific for Drupal deprecations, which would allow us to automate upgrades of Drupal 8 to Drupal 9. Right. I know these days, as I'm working with custom modules, um, I'm always you know Googling for Drupal 8 change record, blah, 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 to figure out how to um, remove my deprecated function and, and, and move that to uh, um, the proper uh, method or function or API call or whatever. So what you're saying is that Drupal Rector is basically an automated way of doing that. Right. The way to do it today, we have a great tool called Drupal Check that allows us to scan our code, custom code or contrib, and find out where do we still have deprecations. The problem is we're talking about, in the stats from uh, Acquia dev page, 33,000 occurrences of different deprecations. Today, it means that all that work needs to be done manually, and even if I have the same deprecation, I'll still need to figure out in each one of the times that it appears, how am I, go how am I going to fix it? What Rector comes to solve is exactly the work you do today, which is find out, uh, that's for the developers of Drupal Rector, find out what is it depre th this deprecation means, what changed. We create one rule file for Rector, and from now on, thousands of people, thousands of modules, can use the same uh, program to automatically fix their code and make it Drupal 9 ready. Right, so you mentioned in a lightning talk yesterday, you gave the example of Drupal set message. Um, so a rule for, P for Drupal Rector would be something along, along the lines of, if it sees Drupal set message in your code, then replace it with a, it's, it's, what, a backslash Drupal colon colon message, whatever it is. Yeah, and there's all these different scenarios and Drupal set messages. Uh, we started with the top 
uh, most popular deprecation. <laughs> most popular. It, that's a, <laughs> I guess that's a, that's a cool way of saying it, it. It, it. Like we know that in contrib modules that exist uh, 8,000 times, we have no idea how many custom code uh, have it as well. And with Drupal set message, there's actually like I think three or four different ways that it needs to be changed to according to the context of where it appears and what we want it to do. So today, Drupal Rector already takes care of all these 8,000 plus all custom code that would need this change. So how do we use it? Is it a, do I, is it a module? I mean, how do I, what do I do if I want to you know, use it on my modules? So right now, the development of it is happening on GitHub. We have a project page on Drupal.org, which is Drupal.org slash project slash Rector. Um, we would love to get more help of developers. In the meantime, at any point, uh, Drupal Rector is ready to work. So today, it only fixes one Rector, which means it helps us with 8,000 different problems. Uh, and soon enough, we, we did a check on the statistics. We found out that the top 15 deprecations are about uh, cover 16,000 deprecations. So when we're going to develop in the first phase of this 15 rectors, 15 rules, we will be able to cover half of the problems that we have with code deprecation. That's a big hammer. That's yeah. a, you know, with 15 rules. And how would you, like, how long does it take to generate a rule? And I know that's not really a fair question because it really depends on the deprecation. Um, but is this someone who uh, might want to contribute um, is this something that once they kind of understand how to write a rule, um, let's say for something of average complexity, is it something someone can do in a few hours? In a way, yes. There's a steep learning curve to actually understand how Rector PHP works in general. Right. What's the way to teach it a rule? But once we get it, um, it can be eight hours to 16 hours, depending on the complexity of the mm -hmm. rule. Mm -hmm. uh, some rules are just even search and replace, and we're going to get them way faster as well. Right. Um, where one of the things we are working on is creating a blog post that's probably going to be ready very soon in the next few days. Um, we're creating uh, better documentation to help onboard people. One side is for using it, and the other side is for developing it. We also created a sandbox. So you can get, if you want to develop more things for Rector, you can already have a working sandbox in order to help you develop new rules. Oh, that's fun. So I think you skipped one of my questions earlier. It was a multi-part, it was a 13-part question. So um, is this a module or is it something else? Similar to Drupal Check, it is a project that lives in GitHub and you can, by running Composer Require, by the time this recording is ready, we we'll probably also have it in Drupal. So probably it will be Composer Require, Drupal slash Rector, and you get it inside your project. And with one command line, you can run it. If you add dash dash dry run, it will even tell you, give you a preview. What are the changes that it's going to make? Yeah. And without the dry run, it will actually go ahead and make these changes. It will work on your modules. It will work on your themes and any custom code you have as well. All right, so I know you're sprinting on it a little bit today. Um, are there any other sprints planned for the next couple months? Yeah, we have a coming up Meet Camp. Uh, Dan from Palantir 
going to be uh, spending on Drupal Rector then, and we're planning a big one as well in DrupalCon. In Minneapolis. So do you have like a hope or a goal in mind when you would like to see these 15 rules written and working? That's a I great think I know question. the answer. Yesterday would be a good time <laughs> to start. Uh, yeah, this is the timeline of Drupal versions and when is end of life of Drupal 8, which is like November 2021, is coming. There's so much work to do. And I believe every time we can automate that will be great. That's what I would love to see, all that work and mm. help from the community to make more, more rules so we can help literally hundreds and thousands of uh, developers that don't need to rethink and probably create some new bugs. So you mentioned process. you mentioned developments is, is on GitHub. Do you happen to? Uh, I, I'm going to put the URL in the uh, show notes. Do you know the URL URL off the top of your head? Sure. GitHub.com slash Palantirnet as one word slash Drupal dash Rector. And that's kind of the epicenter of development right now. Yeah, yeah. There's also um, a new module that Gabor created. It's called the Upgrade underscore Rector, and it actually takes Rector and bring it into the UI. Um, we're not sure exactly uh, who's gonna be the audience to use that, but it will allow you um, to see the modules that you have or the themes in your site and what Rector can already do, uh, what kind of changes it can make. Um, a future plan we have is in coordination with Drupal.org to make sure that in the background, there's gonna be servers working hard running rectors of whatever stage we have of RectorWorks because RectorWorks and it's just going to keep getting better and better. Um, and it will run in the background and hopefully we'll be able to create PRs and fixes for module developers so they don't have to go and manually run Rector, but we'll run it for them and send them suggestion of things that can be fixed. So it sounds like that the, there's at least one rule right now, the Drupal set message, are there other rules right now? Like, is this something that module developers can compose or require today and run and get, get meaningful results? Yeah, Drupal set message um, statistically happen in every module. Right, yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so already they can uh, enjoy that. And we have a list of the top 15 uh, most popular deprecations yeah. that it can already, yeah, so today it's possible to use Drupal Rector and hopefully every week or so we'll have a new version of new uh, rules being added. All right, well, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for working on Drupal Rector, and I think we're all rooting for you, and we're hoping that some more contributors uh, join in because this sounds like an easy win for the Drupal community. Absolutely, thank you so much. Let me take a minute or two here to talk about the Drupal Association. With the postponement of DrupalCon Minneapolis, the Drupal Association is looking at taking quite a financial hit, and that will obviously negatively impact our community in so much that the Drupal Association isn't going to be able to provide as many services as we are used to. One way we can mitigate that is to help out the Drupal Association if you are in the financial position to do so to help us get past this current crisis. If you are an organization, then you could join as a supporting partner. 
If you're an individual, then you should absolutely join as a member. Or if you're already a member or if, you're already, uh, if your organization is already a supporting partner, then just make a donation. Every little bit helps. And if everybody who used Drupal um, just donated a few dollars, this would not be an issue at all. So um, do what you can, spread the word, and let's try to help the Drupal Association get past this rough patch. I am here with, maybe we can start calling you frequent Drupal Easy podcast guest, Amy June Heinlein. Amy June, how are you? Doing pretty well, considering. So you are Volkswagen Chick on Drupal.org. How are you getting along in these odd coronavirus quarantine days? I, I can only imagine things have changed quite a bit for you because you tend to travel quite a bit. I do. Florida camp was the last place I actually ventured to on an airplane. Um, and then San Francisco Doug is the last meetup I went to um, in the middle of March. Um, it has impacted my schedule quite a bit because um, I was scheduled to talk at quite a few word camps and um, all of those uh, just decided to cancel instead of going virtual because it was an unknown space. But as far as mid camp and Stanford camp, um, things didn't change much. I just logged on in um, the comfort of my own home rather than having to travel. Um, but I do miss um, everyone in person. Yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about today for a few minutes is, you know, you have experience, uh, very recent experience in moving contribution sprints from in-person events to virtual events. So in the previous podcast, we talked to Avi from MidCamp about bringing their entire event from an in-person event to a virtual event. But today we're going to spend a few minutes talking to you about just how that works and what that looks like for contribution sprints. Um, so let's, uh, you know, let's just start at the very top. When um, you found out that these two events were going virtual, um, you are uh, one of the organizers of the contribution days for or contribution sprints for both events. So what did that mean for you? What did you do? What, what technology? Just, you know, kind of fill us in on, on what that meant for you. So when we initially made the change, I'm not going to lie, um, I was a little bit concerned because um, there's a certain amount of in-person collaboration that doesn't happen over a computer or through virtual, and I know this from experience. But um, I didn't have too much to think about because the camp had already decided, you know, we were going to switch um, from virtual and use Zoom or switch from in real life to virtual and use Zoom. So it was just a matter of like thinking about how we could have space for all the different initiatives because we had some really good initiatives going into mid-camp this year. I'd have to say it was one of the best lineups we had, you know, D9 readiness, help topics, uh, a captioning initiative, uh, the, the mentoring space, uh, the rector project, um, and uh, what's the next one? Uh, the Feeds Migrate module. So we had these really good initiatives and how are we going to 
get people in the room together? How are we going to make it work? And so um, we already had these rooms set up for the session, the session rooms. We coordinated the Zoom rooms to, to, to room numbers. And so we already had, you know, six or seven Zoom rooms set up. So it was a matter of just breaking things down and making sure that people had the tools that they needed. But another concern I had was in real life, um, being the, the lead for con contribution day, I'm able to kind of poke from table to table and make sure people have what they need and get men get people from the mentoring space into an initiative space and introduce them to the leads. And we just didn't quite have that going in um, in the virtual space. So I really kind of crowdsourced the event, um, went to initiative leads outside of who was able to come to MidCamp in general because now it's a global event. And so I really relied on community support and, um, and people stepped up. So it was a really nice experience. I didn't have to worry about my person being in different rooms. We had people step up to the plate and kind of help out with that. Yeah, I was wondering about Folks who are new contributors, normally, um, from what I see at, at sprints, people just need help, you know, side-by-side -side help, like getting their uh, their environment configured, like learning how to clone a, a module and create a patch or, or, you know, getting a local environment set up. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's, I don't want to say it's easily done, but it's probably less friction when you are in the same, you know, meet space as the other person. Uh, how did, 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 you know, was there much of that going on virtually? So um, you are aware of this, but listeners not, might not be aware of this. The way I run um, the first time contributor workshops at the local and regional level is quite a bit different than how they run it at the bigger events like DrupalCon, where DrupalCon focuses on the tools. I focus on why we're contributing and how you can contribute back using the tools you already have. Less emphasis on that local server, but how you can do it just using get or using simply test me um, to test things. Um, so for me, my presentation, the first time contributor workshop, I go through all that in the pragmatic space. I talk about why we contribute, ways you can contribute besides um, the code. Um, and then I do a demo of how to find an issue, how to write an issue, how to create a patch, how to upload the patch, and how to review the patch, all without having a local server. And then at the end of the workshop, I have um, a couple of mentors put aside to help me with the tooling. And fortunately, um, Matthew Radcliffe and Randy Fay from DDEV were both on board to help people um, with the local tooling if they thought that they needed that. So we had the workshop, had lunch, and then folks came back and, and those two helped with the local tooling. All right, so for events that aren't as lucky as some other events to have you involved at the level that you've been involved in with, with the past, uh, well, with MidCamp and, and Stanford Camp, you talked about Zoom. Um, any other tools uh, that you would recommend that other virtual contribution sprint organizers uh, utilize? I know that um, I think in the past you've used a Google Sheets to organize tasks. Um, is there anything like that as far as like organizing and getting people set up and everybody moving in the right direction? Um, sure. And I want to clarify, I didn't really help um, 
Stanford with their contribution day. I mostly focus. I, I, I did a presentation and attended sessions, but MidCamp is where okay. I um, did the contribution space. I did use a lot of tools. Um, we utilized uh, Matt Glayman's Kanban board. So he was able to build us a Kanban board um, that put the issues in columns um, for, for folks to easily look at and digest um, because sometimes that Kanban style can really uh, be less intimidating than this long list of issue cues. We did um, put together a pretty extensive, for the camp in general, and then specific pages, like we had speaker logistics, we had <clears throat> room monitor logistics, and then we had contrib logistics as well, all in, in, Google, uh, in Google documents. Um, so I was able to really kind of define everyone's role as initiative leads in a, in a document. We utilized Slack for communications outside of Zoom because some folks found Zoom a little bit noisy if they were trying to contribute, but wanted to have the space to check in and collaborate. So we assigned um, Slack channels to every Zoom room so people could um, communicate that way too. And then there was a lot of um, just checking in with folks ahead of time, making sure, you know, that the issues got tagged and um, they had enough mentors or they had enough people to help with their initiative. So a lot of it was just uh, communication. So I asked Avi this next question in the last podcast, in the last episode, I should say. And I'm going to ask the same question to you, but you know, focused obviously more on the contribution sprints. Is there anything that you've learned um, in, in, uh, doing the online contribution sprints that you might think find its way back into in-person contribution sprints? Maybe as it's iterated, we'll find some tools. It's okay to say not yet. Okay. Yeah. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, having this be the first one um, and then the pivot was a relatively short amount of time. um, We were just kind of winging it, you know? Um, And so we're learning with, with this event, how we can improve it for the next event. All right. Well, let me ask that then. So what did you learn from this event? Like knowing what you know now, having gone through uh, the MidCamp uh, virtual contribution sprint, if you could do it over again, which you probably will at some other event, what would you change? Is there anything obvious or is it just more smaller, subtle things? It's smaller, subtle things um, because I was mostly in the mentoring space. Um, the transition from coming from that mentoring space to the general collaboration space at MidCamp generally is just an air wall gets moved. So this time it was people dropping out of a room and wanting to go into another room. And that just didn't happen as I thought it would. So I think maybe at the end of a workshop, sort of talking with folks and having a conversation about what they think they might want to work on next, and then going in and introducing them to initiative leads might help them with that transition. And that just didn't happen this time. So. Yeah, that sounds like that could be like somebody's role, right? right? You could have someone who is there who is just purely focused on introductions and transitions and you know, reducing that friction. Right. And with a with a in-person event, 
I do recruit mentors, but it's not at the top of my list because like I was saying before, it's that nature of being able to go to room to room or from table to table and check in on people. So for virtual events, I really um, feel that more mentors should be available too. Um, but with the short notice, it was hard for that recruitment. So, Right. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Let me ask just one last question. Um, compared to last year at Midcamp's contribution sprint, uh, number of people. Uh, did you find that there were more people in the virtual sprint because of the fact that it was now global or were there less people just because it's a different feel? What did you find? I think it was about the same as last year. I know the first time contributor workshop um, had relatively the same amount, if not a couple more folks uh, this year in the virtual space. Um, but there was a lot going on that Saturday. It was the first um, weekend after a lot of communities held in sheltering things. It was last minute. It was Saturday, you know, so um, so I think if this was to happen again in a different weekend, I would expect different numbers. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us about this. Hopefully, uh, you know, this quick little discussion can help other event organizers and, you know, contribution sprint organizers um, help make their uh, sprints a, a bit better. So thanks for your time. Thanks, Mike. It's time once again to talk about mydropwizard.com. Coming up in November of 2021, Drupal 7 will be end of life. What will you do if you have a Drupal 7 site that you haven't updated to Drupal 8 or Drupal 9 yet? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to contact mydropwizard.com and you're going to sign up for their Drupal 7 extended support plan. This will keep your Drupal 7 site secure well past the November 2021 date. Plans start at as low as $99. They will keep core and contributed modules up to date. They'll help you keep the site online. They'll answer your questions and they'll even do basic one-off maintenance tasks. So you definitely want to check them out at mydropwizard.com. All plans include 30-day money-back guarantee, 24-hour response time, and a site audit. So definitely check out our friends over at mydropwizard.com. Welcome to the Change Notice. I'm Chris Weber. This is a recurring segment that focuses on the changes that are evolving the Drupal code repository. Each change has its own story, why it exists, how it is made, made by hard-working developers, developers like you. Today's recording started as a mystery in the logs, which seemed trivial at the time, but had the potential for a vast impact if the right conditions were met. Instead of putting it off, the dev team created a spike ticket to investigate and discovered a bug that proved to indeed be a ticking bomb waiting to happen. The post-mortem report discussion 
was constructive. And the follow-up conversation was fun and helped produce. Three things that may or may not have a large impact, but I thought were kind of cool. Number one, the media initiative has accomplished the majority of its goals for Drupal 8. During the Drupal 8 development cycle, we saw the introduction of the media entity as a part of core. And most recently, we've seen the introduction of media library, the visual element that makes it easy to select media elements that have been saved before. I can speak from personal experience that this feature has driven a lot of value for clients. It's a big win for Drupal 8, a clear sign that in the Drupal 8, Drupal 9, Drupal 10 development cycle, we will continue to see new features be added while ongoing development is successful. Number two, update hooks from pre Drupal 8.8 .8 have been removed from core. You may recall in the first change notice, I referred to this change as well. Originally created as a change notice in January of this year and last updated in March, the journey to Drupal 9 can be described as a series of landmarks. One of these landmarks is the shedding of old code we don't need anymore. In my view, Removing all the old update hooks that have been deprecated is one of the best examples of that. Instead of supporting the update path from Drupal 8.0 to Drupal 9. whatever, we can simply declare that we expect to support Drupal as old as Drupal 8.8 .8 and above with our new D9 code base. And number three. Drupal 9 Beta 2 has been released. Drupal 9's journey to re final release is like a long road trip, and there will be many landmarks along the way. D9 reached a new mile marker with the release of the second beta. The release had several important updates to dependencies, fixes to help topics, and all the accrued awesomeness we've discussed so far. And now, time for shoutouts. Shout out to Jordan Brown, who's beginning her journey towards understanding SQL and all the wonderful landmarks along that journey. Shout out to Mike Anello, who, as you know, has contributed to Drupal Easy for as long as I now can remember. His consistency in putting together this podcast is a sight to behold. This has been the change notice. If you have feedback, please include it in the comments below. We can make it better next time. Bye. Thanks once again to my guests, Ofer Schall, talking about Drupal Rector, and Amy June Heinlein, talking about virtual contribution days. And of course, thank you to Chris Weber 
for the change notice. One of my absolute favorite things about the podcast lately is listening to Chris's delivery and the topics he picks and just everything about it. I love it so much. Thank you, Chris, for agreeing to do that for us. A couple things I want to mention real quick before we wrap up. The next Professional Local Development with DDEV two-hour online workshop will be held on Tuesday, May 5th. So you can sign up for that at drupalizy.com slash DDEV. If you're interested in learning about DDEV without spending two hours with me held hostage in a Zoom room, you can just buy my book. It's less than 10 bucks. Go to Amazon, search for it. It'll be great. And then finally, Drupal Career Online, our fall semester begins August 31st. We are actually smack dab in the middle of our sold out spring semester. So if you have been thinking about upgrading your Drupal game, and learning professional Drupal 8 development, then by all means, check out Drupal Career Online at drupaleasy.com slash DCO. If you like our podcast, you know where to subscribe, you know where to find us, you know how to listen to us. Just, just listen to us and spread the word. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Wash your hands and see ya!